This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max. Thanks to Wilson Sport for all your needs in basketball, football, NFL, and all sports all over Australia and the world. Head to wilson.com.au. Joining me on the Sporting Max podcast today is a superstar, an absolute legend in radio broadcasting and TV. Sam Lane, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Max. I'm even better now for hearing that. Thanks so much. <laughs> uh, what's been going on? How have you reviewed the uh, the AFLW season? Yeah, I think like everyone that's either been involved or just at, at close range, uh, it's that first thing that you do after a grand final is one and done is just take a breath. Uh, the Melbourne Demons were mighty. They surprised me by beating Brisbane. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, I, I tipped Brisbane and, and I thought that they would flex their collective muscle on a home deck uh, at Springfield, but it wasn't to be. And the storylines, I mean, you could just go on and on about the incredible stories uh, out of the Demons camp. And I guess when I consider the season, Uh, that was, it was unlike any other because it came off the back of a season in the same year. So Mm. credit to the AFL, credit to everyone involved. Um, Of course, first and foremost, the players for being able to do that and and coaches and support staff for turning their lives upside down to make that happen. But it's a long way of saying, I think everyone has got to the end and this point and taken a big sigh of relief and gone, okay, let's just reboot and let's do something quite normal (laughs) next year. Start with a bit of notice, um, you know, maybe play a few more rounds and, um, and everyone I think will be a little bit more comfortable. Yep. Yeah, well, Daisy Pierce finally got that long-awaited, that she's been waiting for her whole AFLW career, a premiership medal. What was that like for you to observe? Incredible. Uh, And I was very lucky being the boundary writer for Channel 7 and the television broadcast. I had an incredible view of that. Uh, I saw her partner. I saw her twins, their twins. And, um, you know, just the emotion, it wasn't just Daisy, it was the whole team. And I think what I observed in Daisy particularly was sort of an expression um, in part on field when she did the post-match interview with my colleague, Abby Holmes, um, but an expression of what she's been bottling up, which was just that fierce determination. Sure, that premiership might not have been about her, it was about a whole team, it was about a build and the demons were a pilot club for the AFLW. So they've been committed fairly and squarely to the movement that I say is bigger than sport from pre-day one. Um, but but you could see now that Daisy had won it, sort of the relief and all the elements that it had involved in her. And, and that continues. Um, you only have to check social media to see that there's been tattoos um, embossed on people's bodies. And um, Daisy's is one of them. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Sam, I want to get into your career. What was growing up? I guess you were always sort of around media and around television and journalism and writing as a kid. Obviously, your father and dad, Tim Lane. What was that like as as a kid for you? Yeah, I think and um, anyone would relate to this when it's just your life. You don't sort of think it's weird. It's just the way it is. And so I guess from the moment that I can 
remember anything my dad was already a sports broadcaster in fact he got his big break in his career in the year I was born and that meant that he and my mum moved over from uh, Tasmania to Melbourne and dad started calling uh, what was then the VFL which was you know the big time uh, on television with the ABC Um, it moved a young family and dad as as I'm told, was um, probably a little bit like he is today, which is just entirely devoted um, to being the best broadcaster he can. Um, very professional, very meticulous, uh, cares a lot uh, about, I guess, what you'd say is the craft of calling. Um, but I didn't know any different. Um, I guess if I reflect on what that meant for a young girl growing up, it meant that my dad was kind of different to other dads because when they got when other dads sort of got to chill or hang with their kids on the weekend, my dad was working um, and my mum and dad were separated and divorced when I was young and they sort of shared me. And so I would have time with my dad during the week when he had days off. Um, eventually, um, just to cut a long story short, um, my mum passed away when I was 10. So I moved in with dad. I'm an only child. And that's when I was really I guess indoctrinated um, with with the media, with the journalism, uh, with his great passion in life, and I think, you know, initially it was probably an attempt, even if unconsciously, to bond with him, um, to come to like the things that he liked, and that was watching footy. Uh, I never really came around to spending days upon end watching cricket, hours <laughs> upon end, weeks upon end. Um, but um, the footy was something that really captured my imagination and ultimately um, my understanding of being in a footy crowd, an AFL crowd, where I saw um, little girls like me, uh, I saw families, I saw a whole lot of women. I, I did, as I grow, grew up, think, well, how come they're not filling the airwaves or the newspaper inches uh, like uh, the men do and like my dad does? And so this kind of ignited something in me, which was like, well, why not? And I had a, a someone to look at. Uh, from a distance and then I got to meet her which was Caroline Wilson and um, there were others but not many and um, and Victoria Carthew used to do boundary writing on, on Channel 7 and I really liked her and dad thought she was great and so yeah as a young girl um, now living with my sports obsessed dad I thought well this could be pretty good and I used to make um, I'd, I'd do my own show. They were imaginary. Um, they only existed in the lounge room, but I'd, I'd get his microphones, I'd record myself and I'd do fake interviews and I'd be the person and I'd be the interviewer. Um, <laughs> I used to call it 3SAMFM, which is um, probably showing my age, but I, I, I loved this notion of, um, of, I guess, being a broadcaster, being in media, and then that developed um, in time that I, I thought I want to write. I want to write. Um, and I want to write at the Age newspaper. And it did take several years. I, I got my break uh, in terms of writing at afl.com.au, which was just starting at that time, but that was sort of virtually out of um, my university degree. And then um, after quite a lot of persistence, definitely um, a, a lucky break. Um, but then I guess proving that I was worth a gamble because I didn't come from like a traditional um, journalism school. I'd done politics and literature and uh, a French language degree in in, Fran uh, in France and at Melbourne Uni. But um, I got I got um, hired at the age and had a very 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 many uh, happy 
satisfying, uh, very exciting, but very full years um, there doing print, radio and television. Yeah, absolutely. So when at what age was that when your world became encapsulated in yeah. a way that was when you noticed like there wasn't women filling the airwaves back yeah. when you were a kid? What age was that when your world became encapsulated yeah. of just media and pure love? Yeah, well, I moved in with dad when I was 10. So that was, I guess, when I really started paying attention. Uh, it was probably a couple of years until I started realizing, um, you know, I guess my brain was like, why this doesn't make sense. You know, dad cares about my opinion when we're driving home from the footy. I see all these women and girls at the footy, but why aren't they? Why is there only Caroline and why is there only Victoria Carthew? <laughs> um, and yeah, it just made me, I guess it ignited something in me something um that was i guess untraditional different perhaps surprising um and yeah so i'd say it was definitely by the time i was 13 that i was starting to to dream about this and then uh it took a lot of time a lot of persistence and i guess you don't it's one thing to have an idea and a dream it's another thing to to really follow through be knocking on people's doors um doing a whole lot of stuff for free i i started writing for the carlton inside carlton magazine um and i'd be sent off and and do little interviews and they printed them and they were like the best days of my young life you know and i was in in high school doing that um got to do something on the abc radio um and yeah a whole lot of things it took a whole kind of collage of um, trying and saying yes and um, giving it a go and sometimes being scared witless but doing it anyway um, to eventually kind of clarify my thoughts about where I wanted to focus. She mentioned just before about getting hired at the age and yeah. how that was your goal originally, I guess from the get-go, being at the age newspaper to write. But you also mentioned the side of broadcasting and radio and TV. What, I guess, to put it into context, yeah. developed your skills not only as a broadcaster and a writer off off scene, off air, off the newspapers in terms of behind the scenes, learning from producers, learning how to do certain things. Yeah, I, it's a great question. I think um, so much would have just been absorbed by watching dad. And if I think about his routines and habits and standards, uh, they were well, I'd probably say very rigid, very um, high volume. So he's a real detail person. Uh, you know, no phone call is one phone call too many. Um, you can't read enough. You can't study enough. You can't prepare enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I guess I was absorbing that without actually thinking or questioning, is that what everyone does? Mm -hmm. um, and no surprise, like all these years down the track, detail still really matters to me. Preparation yeah. still really matters to me. I used to get... Um, needled by um, my Channel 7 AFL men's colleagues. I can think of sitting on a panel on Saturday night for a few years alongside Cameron Ling, Matthew Richardson, Luke Darcy, and Mick Malloy. And um, they used to tease me with my notebooks, you know, <laughs> like, why are you like, what, just talk, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I just say, well, I'm the journalist and you're the ex-player. Like you talk, you talk from your experience, you talk from your heart. Um, I'm going to I'm going to do my research and, and bring some facts and, um, you know, have a good think about it. Um, but, yeah, that's I guess that's one part of the answer to your question that I, I learned that. 
Um, and I guess as I got more serious, just being able to soundboard from dad, but dad hasn't done as much sort of print. He, he's always been more, a, a, you know, a broadcaster on radio and TV. Uh, so that was a skill uh, and a whole set of skills that I learned very much uh, on the job, but also through my university degree, uh, writing what you have to do, it doesn't matter what the topic is and a great editor. Uh, the late Creighton Burns, he was an editor of The Age. Uh, he was a family friend and before he passed away, I remember him saying to me, uh, I would hire anyone at The Age who can show me that they know how to research, that they know how to write, that they know what the best stuff is from something and uh, that they have passion. And so he was like, it doesn't matter what you do at uni, you could be a vet and tell me you wanted to be a journalist and then I'd assess your skills and see if you've got what it takes. So it's a long answer, Max, but um, um, hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight. So how do you, I guess, integrate all those things, not, a, not at once, but I guess step by step into what is now you know, broadcasting TV and print journalism, originally starting out as print journalism, how do you integrate them into one? Oh, I don't think there is one. I think you learn, and I do a podcast um, as well these days. I'm writing my second book um, with Erin Phillips. I'm writing her book for her and with her. Uh, the skills required for podcasting, radio news, radio long form, I'd call this like a radio long form, um, for TV panel with comedians, for TV panel with ex-footballers or current footballers um, that, or daily um, news journalism, they're really, really different mediums. And so I guess with practice, if you are able and like me, you love doing multimedia, I yep. guess what you learn is that there are different little you know, gears that you need to be in, if you consider like a, a car, like you've got to pull, you know, you've got to put the clutch in sometimes and get in gear two to be in radio zone. I always ask, you know, if, if I'm doing say a news, um, news style radio segment, how long do you want for this segment? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as, as you would know, we know how long roughly we're talking for in this. It gives me a sense that I can and talk a little bit more. News segments, you have to time that perfection that's right yeah and not talk too much yeah <laughs> and then yeah and then there's also the detail of having footage or evidence to go alongside and support that so what about in terms of print journalism how do you try and incorporate that into print journalism having evidence there to support your writing well that is the basis i think of um, journalism as as i've known it uh, it is all about actually just getting facts and information um, and if you're writing opinion um, so that you can have all the facts and information that you can muster and then you know make a compelling case uh, so the life of a, a good um, thorough journalist is actually mostly on the phone and in a way yeah. the last bit you do is is put it all out there on the page um, and and so my reference before to like you can't make too many calls I think you hear phone calls you hear a lot of uh, very experienced established uh, successful journalists saying the same thing that 
you might have formed a view but until you make the you know 50th call on a on a topic like concussion or hundreds or 500s you know if you're yeah. really going there in your life um how are you going to know um you know really what to prioritize in an article so uh it's it is all about uh synthesizing information i guess and and backing your filter and your news judgment on that and then of course talking with editors and learning along the way of what um, what is useful, what and I know this is a subjective, but what is useful news in the world as opposed to just filling up space. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sam, this is our Wilson Sport question of the week. For all your needs in Australia and the world, go to wilson.com.au for all things basketball, football, and all things. Sam, our question of the week this week comes off Instagram. It's what's the highlight of your journalism career, not only print, but multimedia? Yes. Um, there. Are, do I have to pick one? No, you don't. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm Provide glad. Provide as many stories and highlights as you want. Ah, there are so many. <laughs> um, and maybe I'll break it down into sports. Uh, one that comes to mind, I covered three Summer Olympics with The Age. Um, when Anna Mears won her gold medal uh, in the sprint in the velodrome in London, beating Victoria Pendleton um, in one of the great sporting rivalries, uh, I was there to cover it. I sat in a random little room that had no windows it had a vacuum cleaner it was freezing it was nightfall after anna had done all the interviews with the the, the okay. press but she and i had spoken over many years in the build-up to london we had a good firm relationship as journalist and subject and she gave me some extra time after a gold medal to sit down and give me some inside wow. story which made for a really good piece that was very well read and okay. and gave info about how she actually beat Victoria Pendleton and during that interview Max her phone went off and um, she said look do you mind if I take this and it was the then Prime Minister of Australia Julia Gillard ringing wow. just to talk to Anna and I was like wow this is a moment. Uh, another one from cycling but road cycling was covering the Tour de France when Cadell Evans won becoming the first Australian and still the only Australian to do that. I was actually in London at the time doing some countdown to London Olympics um, assignment work for the age, but I convinced our then editor in chief to get a train across to Paris on the day that Cadell was set to ride down the Champs Elysees and win wow. the thing. And again, I'd, I'd covered Cadell very deeply, uh, had built a really good journalistic uh, and subject relationship with him. And when I turned up among the throng of Parisians, the throng of media, I thought, my gosh, I'm not a chance in hell of getting anywhere near Cadell. <laughs> but I, I muscled my way to his team pen, as you might call it, uh, with their chairs just sitting down before the final stage. I sort of put my head up over the barrier and and waved um, and he saw me and he waved me in. He gave me all of, I think it was about oh, one minute 27 before he got on his bike and rode down the Champs-Élysées to win it. But that one minute 27 that I got on my dictaphone and then transcribed into the article that then ran on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age the next day in Australia um, was the difference between that just being another story and that being a one-on-one -on -one with, you know, this Australian icon. So mm -hmm. that was huge. Uh, I think in, in football, in Aussie rules, uh, I, 
it's hard to separate but covering AFL men's grand finals is really special and at the age I got to do that uh, you get assigned to certain topics be it the Norm Smith medalist or um, a a particular player doing that when the emotion is so high and raw um, is wonderful and there's that pressure and thrill of deadline and I also got to cover men's AFL grand finals with Channel 7 uh, sometimes in um, the off field so running onto the field and grabbing some uh, extra interviews or in the yep. crowd um, but always um, in a pre-match you know special panel show and being in Melbourne on that day uh, on the on the mainstream um, big broadcast um, is really really exciting um, to do and then right up there with everything if not uh, equal or even on top was covering the first ever AFL women's game. uh, And that was at at Princess Park. It was a lockout, as many people will know. Carlton and Collingwood played in a way that they'd never played before. And it was, um, I mean, it was just, it was unforgettable. It was game changing and really was a summary moment of all the things I care about most in sport, which is sports power to change really big stuff on and off field. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the inexorable, inexorable, and it was the inevitable. Really, that first game between Carlton and Collingwood for the AFLW, it was inevitable that there was going to be a massive turnout for such a huge historical event at Victoria Park. What was the atmosphere like at that ground? Yeah, it was actually at Carlton's Princess Park. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I'm glad that you think it was inevitable, Max. Um, the AFL itself didn't think it was inevitable. They initially had uh, the game set for a, a place uh, that Collingwood was going to call home. Uh, it was at um, at the Olympic um, Park kind of precinct. There weren't even um, enough chairs. People would have been standing up. Um, they thankfully saw the light and thought, well, I think a few more people will come to this than we think. Um, even more came than they thought. They sold out of beer by by quarter time. Um, wow. and, and you remember the scenes of Gillan McLaughlin going outside and the CEO of the AFL apologising to people who were in tears uh, because they couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, being on the field, I remember there were a lot of people who said that that night they just couldn't stop crying. I, I wasn't like that. I felt like I'd done my um, crying about some of the inequity in sport and in the sport that I love most, which is Aussie rules, well before that day. So on that day and on that night, all I felt was just like this in- intense sense of wow yeah. and also this intense sense of just like great fortune to to be the boundary rider on that broadcast to be there to feel it uh, to know the backstories and then to be able to do my best at summarizing those on a broadcast um i mean that is really that's nirvana <laughs> if, if you're in the business like us you know um so that yeah, it was amazing. And I'll never forget also just going to the, um, I think it was the Rose Hotel we went to in Fitzroy, which was then around the corner from my old house. And just with people that um, cared um, well before I even knew that women's footy was a thing, um, some of those great, great pioneers and game changers were assembled. Um, I think we drank a few champagnes and just had, you know, the biggest smiles. And it was, it was truly, it was actually one of the happiest, most sort of fulfilled feeling days of my life. 
So I want to move on to television radio. Now, Network 10's before the game panel show, you began in 2003. What was that like walking on to your first TV set? Terrifying. Um, I thought, and it was actually Rove McManus that rang me and asked, um, would I consider coming in for a, a chat slash interview with a few people that um, were putting together this idea of a show? And when he rang, because it was his production company, Roving Enterprises, that made the show, when um, I got that call, I thought, this is a joke. Like, this seriously. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Um, (laughs) But I met that day. I remember Peter Hellier was in the room. Um, The rest is a bit of a blur. I think there are about five people. And I do remember walking out of that thinking, there is no way they're going to ask me to be involved in this. Um, But sure enough, um, they did. Uh, I was initially just a roving reporter. The idea was that I would just come on and do a little news segment of, you know, what's been happening in footy. And um, Eloise Southby was uh, the the first woman panellist actually on before the game, but her professional netball commitments required that she just couldn't be on on a Saturday night when the show was actually happening. Yeah. Uh, and so, look, um, I, I got that really lucky break in that moment and um, fortunately didn't mess it up too badly. And I think we did 10 years um, together as a panel. And um, it was after that that I I jumped across to Channel 7, uh, working with that team. And there were lots of incarnations in that panel, but uh, Dave Hughes, Andy Marr, Anthony Hudson, Mick Malloy, Limo, Peter Hellier and Rove used to come on from time mm-hmm. to time. Um, I mean, it was, I guess the word I would use to summarise it is generous. Uh, I think when you sit anywhere, be it, you know, in, in media being on TV or just at a table at work or just a table in general, if people are generous and they're listening, and giving everyone a, a moment to talk, um, everyone's view, the time of day, it brings out the best in people. And I absolutely loved that show. Um, the production team also changed over the years, but there were some stalwarts, uh, Aidy Brown, Adam Rowe, Chris Thompson, just so many, Shannon and Mish, Shannon Davis and Michelle Wyatt, just brilliant brains um, and and really good people. and. Um, those Saturdays were also that, goodness, that old thing about like it not feeling like work. I mean, we'd just get together, watch the footy, eat hot chips, eat M&Ms, um, do a show <laughs> and then keep hanging out afterwards and watching the night game. You know, it was it was that fun. Now, you mentioned earlier uh, in the episode, Sam, about looking up to people like Caroline Wilson as yeah. a young girl where there weren't many women on air or getting to the airways. When you first got when it first got announced when you first knew and were told obviously that you had that job on the before the game panel not only as a reporter but as a panelist too what was that like for you mentality wise knowing that you're not only making an impact on women in sport but it's where you've wanted to go for so long yeah i it's funny when you put it like that it seems logical that i might have been thinking like that but i wasn't at all uh i was just thinking i think about doing the best job i could and again that notion that i described to you that everyone was so generous and welcoming and and great um team members in that it didn't make me feel different i just felt like 
I'm here to do my best and I'll be looked after in a way because we all looked after each other. Um, and, and so, uh, I didn't, I didn't actually think very hard about that. Um, in some ways I wish I'd thought more about, um, not being so wild with my haircuts and hair color and, um, makeup and clothes <laughs> at the time, because I was, you know, I was in my twenties, I reckon I was 22 when we started that show. And, um, yeah, I was, yeah, just kind of living life and, and turning up and, and doing it. But in a way, maybe that was a byproduct of the environment. We were all just there because of who we were, who we were as we were. And, um, and so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't uh, feel, uh, like a, an outsider or that I had to work harder. It, it just happened. And those first two producers of the show, Michelle and Shannon, were women. And I think that really set the tone that, yeah, there was no issue um, as as far as the entire team on and off camera were concerned. So what was the major difference you noticed between TV and radio for yourself? Yeah, radio, uh, I think you could sometimes, depending on the setting and the format, um, you can't fudge anything in radio. So in telly, I guess, um, I, look, it's it's hard to say, and maybe it's not that black and white, but if I consider the contrast with before the game, with say a, a two hour pre-match show with Jared Waitley on radio, yeah. um, you cannot not have your stuff in front of you, your facts, your, your content with Jared on radio for two hours, you know, on a panel with comedians where, it's TV, it's live, it was essentially a variety show around footy. Um, yeah, we were we were kind of just having a live conversation that was prepared, but also freestyling. So I'd say with radio, um, it, it, it always depends. I mean, there's also a whole lot of knockabout radio where people just shoot the breeze. I think yeah. the radio that I've tended to do has been more focused than that. And so the preparation um, required for that and this notion that there is nowhere to hide when it's just you, a voice, perhaps someone else and a microphone um, is pretty bare in radio, isn't it? Like we, I think we all listen to things in our ears and make judgments really quickly perhaps there are a few more distractions uh in tv the the notion that you just highlighted there of you can't budge anything up in radio you can't mess anything up how do you compare that to tv obviously in tv things can go unnoticed because radio it's just the projection of your voice and things like that when you're trying to i'm not i i don't know but adjust something or correct something in radio what's that like hmm, i i don't know i think look either way and it is a little hard to distinguish i i think yeah i just stand by that depiction that on radio yeah you you're found out if you're a pretender probably faster <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, um, if you're not prepared you get found out absolutely you can yeah. hear it everyone can hear it and and you, sure you can hear it and see it on tv too but it's different tv's you know you've got vision to support you um there are yes um people that can just seriously read auto cues and not necessarily be across 
um, the depth of a topic. I think you're, if you're in radio and you've got time um, to, to have a good conversation, you've got to really, really bring and know your stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I'd say. Um, and in both cases, um, you said about how do you adjust? I think that is something that you learn, you know, in time to have the confidence. If you've got something wrong, you just say it. You know, and whether that's on radio or TV doesn't matter. You can just say, oh, sorry, my mistake. I should have said this or yeah. I meant this. Mm -hmm. um, and that takes a confidence, as as you'd know, just to be able to say, look, I'm, I'm human. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, Sam, I know you've got a tight schedule. Before I let you go, you were a part of the Longley Tour series with Chris Anstey, my manager, Chris Beanie, The Missing Link. What was that like? And can you tell me about your relationship with Luke, the great man? Yes, I absolutely loved it. And I'm glad you mentioned all of them because it was a, a roadshow of four, Luke, Chris and Chris and me. And we went all around Australia with Luke really opening up about, God, not just his basketball career, but his life and that pre pre-life, uh, the afterlife. And he's got so many stories, so many compelling stories to share and so many incredible messages around physical health, mental health, life choices, life philosophy. Uh, I think the thing um, I'd say about Luke particularly is just that, uh, yeah, if we're talking about um, the real deal, that guy is all substance. And uh, he, I've loved getting to know him and continuing to get to know him. I actually rang him earlier today. It's funny that you've raised him now because it, you know, for the time of the tour, we were the four of us, the Chris's and Luke and I, we were kind of like a little family just traveling around um, doing these shows. And, um, and then when something like that's over, you're kind of like, Oh, I'm missing a, I'm missing a limb. Um, yeah. And I, I think I'd speak for all of us in, in saying that, you know, that wasn't just a job that was um, the building and deepening of, of friendships too. And, and I hope that all of those continue. Yeah, absolutely. Stan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been an absolute honour to have you on. That is so kind and I've absolutely loved it, Max. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sam. This episode is brought to you by Wilson Sport for everything basketball, footy, NFL, wilsonsport.com.au, Australia and the world. We'll see you soon. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.